0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Generation On Air. My name is Alex Bullimore and I am joined by Dan Lambert and Micah Chudley. Guys, welcome back.
1: Good evening. What to Uh, talk about?
0: uh, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, God forbid the end of the season is actually boring. Just a few weeks ago, I was kind of worried about how interesting our topics would be if we did fall out of the playoff uh, picture. But now... QPR and more to the point, West London Sport just keep delivering with more and more bombshells regarding the f- state, you know, the the club, the future of the manager, and everything in between. Uh, so this week, West London Sport took aim at the relationship between Warburton and Les Ferdinand in particular, and we can also talk about losing to Sheffield United and maybe preview Swansea away. Uh, the final game of the season if you guys want to it's up to you whatever but then again you know I'm not really sure anyone would actually be interested in that Uh, so last week Micah you can join us for the sort of instant reaction to the Warbs news let's start with you then Um, this article that was released by West London Sport and the the whole sort of Warburton sacking you've got a little you've got a bit of free reign here you could just sort of get a few things off your chest
2: can say whatever i want does it have to be qpr related or can i just talk about uh, my relationship with my dad or something
0: no, no it does have to be qpr
2: related, <laughs> yeah. yeah listen um i do get on with my dad by the way in case he's listening to this because he does listen um um yeah um sadly one will come coming i guess um not necessarily because of results or because of anything that happened but i think you know um as you said in the intro, Alex West London Sport of kind of sort of uh, been, I don't know what the term is, they, they've just been first to everything in terms of the Warburton saga. Um, so we all had a feeling this was coming. I personally was not expecting it to be announced the way it did. Um, I'm not sure the club wanted it to be announced the way it did, but I think that's kind of taken out of your hands when the director of football's at a golf day and is kind of, discussing it with moose from talk sport of all people um but my thoughts are i wouldn't have sacked him i can understand the reasoning for the sacking i think 3 and 18 is absolutely horrendous no matter where you are in the table (sighs) i suppose i suppose it's only a bad sacking if you get the replacement wrong if you replace him right then you've done the right thing haven't you um but from where I'm sat currently, I, I don't really know what to make of it, to be honest.
0: Yeah, uh, one of the things you mentioned there, something that we didn't really pick up on last week, just the way that this whole sort of, like you said, saga has unfolded with Ferdinand talking to Talk Sport on the golf day, saying, well, we might sack a manager if we do, it's for the best of the QPR and all that sort of stuff. And then Warburton saying the next day in the press, uh, that he doesn't expect to be staying on at QPR and stuff like that and you kind of think blimey is this the way we're going to treat a manager who's actually you know done the job very well and has represented the club in a fantastic manner in comparison to perhaps the previous two managers who were sort of arguing with fans and then were just generally useless uh you know mark warburton has been a pretty standing you know pretty solid guy he's never really let us down in that sense um and then we go and let him down i feel in the at the end and it's not just him is it it's other it's the players as well because there's players that are out of contract that don't really know what their future is going to be and now that's a bit that seems like you know maybe a couple of years ago or i don't know decades ago whatever but that you know people seem to treat footballers differently don't they they seem to think that just because it's they're playing sport for a living, that they, they can kind of get away with a few things. But yeah. at the end of the day, this is a job for them, and it's mm-hmm. a, obviously a job that comes with a lot of passion, a lot more care than your sort of average maybe shop shop worker. But the way that if if the article is true, and I don't doubt it, it you know the way we're treating some key players, you're just sort of not giving them a future here or not even given an indication of what is going to be their future? I mean, how is that even on? Yeah, no,
2: it, it, doesn't, it doesn't sit well with me. I mean, as you said, it's a job for some people. And I know some people don't think of it as like a job, but, you know, there's a lot of footballers that don't like football. They just happen to be very good at it. So it is a job for them. And I mean, I don't know if you worked at Tesco and um, you were on the checkout, and you were checking out people's food, and then somebody was behind you the whole time shouting like abuse at you, you know, that, that, <laughs> that would be, you'd probably be arrested for that. But, you know, because it's football things are different. And uh, that kind of applies to this whole contract situation, doesn't it? You know, you're, you're okay, apparently, to tell footballers, doesn't matter how many games in a row they played, we all suspect it's Barbay so I'm just going to assume it's Barbe, doesn't matter how many games in a row you play for that team, if if the, the the powers that be decide that um they're not gonna let you know what's happening with you until the exact end of the season, then that's what's gonna happen and you have to live out of storage or whatever it is, that the report said. So it's, it's it's a shame. It is, but that's football.
0: Yeah. Uh so that that is like the main sort of not the main thing from it, but um yeah, Johan Barbe isn't by the looks of it gonna get a new contract. Um we've spoken about his contract situation a few times this season. And, you know, kind of, I have to admit, I've sort of said that having seen the players that we've managed to bring in the form of the device and done, I wouldn't be so disappointed if they left, but you can't be, you know, Bobby was so consistent for, in the sense of just turning up to games for a start, which when compared to Jordy device, Seems like a massive win. Um, and now, you know, someone that, again, who has served the club pretty well, he has had his ropey moments and Michael will attest to that as well. He kind of, you know, scares the living daylights out of you at some points. But uh, I don't know, like, Dan, what does it, any of this sit right of you?
1: Um, well, the Barber, the Barber one for me is a little bit interesting. I mean, the majority of fans want him to stay on um and i can kind of i can kind of see that but i don't think we should be necessarily making rash decisions over the future i know obviously it impacts him personally because he doesn't know what's going to happen but right now as things stand we don't have a manager and we don't know who it's going to be next season Uh, i've said a few times um i think warburton rates him higher than a lot of managers with uh would rather um generally just because of his ability on the ball. He's quite a rare defender for me. Um, in terms of, he's he's not a brilliant defender, but on the ball, he's what he could, you could probably play him in midfield if you needed to. Um, so yeah, I think I think we should just wait and see the managers first because they might not want him. And then what's the point of signing on one of our probably highest earners in the club or what what's up there at least um, if he's not really going to be used or fit the um, the system too well? So I'd see, but it, like Mike said, and like you said, Alex it's a bit of a mess right now um, and it's a bit worrying to be honest
0: I guess the, the only thing, thing- you could oh, do sorry. is just sort of have that conversation and sort of explain the situation with him the other really weird thing is that we assume that obviously Warburton really rates him and stuff like that but was he injured for the game against Sheffield United?
1: Think- he's, he's had knee problems he's had, he's had yeah. knee problems over the last three, four weeks so I, I, don't, I don't know to be honest the, the exact answer but I mean, he could have been out with injury, because
0: um, he came round last out of all the players when um, they were doing the lap of honour, for want of a better word. Um, it, I don't know. It just seems a bit weird that he was there. Uh, I don't know. Like he might might have been injured, but you know, he's been. I like said he's been in and out of the side. Micah, did you have something to say in this?
2: Sorry, no. Um, just just picking up something um, Dan said. I think he's right in terms of. Um, you want your if you know you're um, bringing in a new manager, you kind of want almost not a clean slate, but you don't want to. Yeah, you don't want to sign someone on that the manager may not want. But what I would say in response to that is that's right. But this is more at the club, which is that if the club have come out and said, "Right, Mark Warburton's established a QPR DNA, a style of play," um, surely a ball playing left sided centre back would make sense. I I don't know. I do maybe maybe it's a wage thing. I don't know. But to me, it it just seems weird. It seems weird. There must be something else going on.
1: Uh, we... I can, I can see that. Yeah, I, sorry. I, I can see that to an extent. Um, I think I mean we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but Les Ferdinand made it pretty clear in January that um no contract was going to be renewed or at least discussed until the end of the season. So I suppose you run that risk of someone potentially pinching pinching these players, but I think there's there's probably obviously been some communication saying we're gonna to have to wait to see it to the end of season. I think now Warburton's leaving, I think it leaves him with more uncertainty in my opinion.
0: Well the the players that are out of contract, he obviously he's one of them. I think balls another and then from like the sort of first team squad you off the top of my head it's a dome in Austin, isn't it? Uh, the also, is what, the is obviously only on a one-year deal so and he's injured now so there w- would be uh discussions over that and you know we've got the various backup goalkeepers that we've had to sign that are now out of contract as well and that may you know having Marshall and Westwood on that list just makes it look worse than it actually is but you can kind of <clears throat> kind of understand where all the fuss is around Barber because he's actually you know a regular fixture in the side and is probably one where he's our only real sort of left-sided centre-back and probably our one of our better centre-backs. Um, whereas when it comes to Austin and Adoma, especially in this, this season and to a certain extent for Adoma, the second half of the season, they haven't really performed. You can kind of understand them not having these discussions with them perhaps and letting them go eventually. Which is by the looks of it, what's going to happen. Um, I don't know it just it's a little bit disappointing at this point just when we all kind of thought we might be getting the club into a sort of more stable position and this comes out and you think we're actually quite a long way off aren't we Micah anything to say
2: yeah yeah it's disappointing it's disappointing. Um... <sighs> Obviously, people people that have listened to this podcast long enough or people that have spoke with me about QPR for long enough know that I've been um, quite positive about um, Ferdinand and Ramsey and what they've done. And I do think that they have done a lot of good things for the club. But the one thing that has always sort of defied, divided the fan base is the thing that would have always defied any fan base, which is essentially that we, on the pitch, that we haven't really seen enough progress in the, what, seven, eight years that they've kind of been at the helm now. Um, yeah, behind the scenes, it's great. It's great. Don't get me wrong. Like, um, whether or not you think the 23s is better than Warburton thinks it is or is worse than Ferdinand thinks it is, you have to accept it's come a long way in eight years. We've got a training ground. We've got a connect with the community. That's great, but it's... On the pitch, it doesn't seem to be working and there seems to be a recurring theme with Les Ferdinand and Chris Ramsey, Their view of the club and the manager of the club. They didn't get on with Ollie. I know that wasn't necessarily the, the best appointment or even the most sort of sensible appointment. Um, all fell apart with McLaren at the end and now, you know, seems as though the same thing has happened with Warburton. So I think there's a lot of pressure on them.
0: Sorry, was, go on. Uh, obviously, the, the Ian Holloway one I know is he was suggested to Tony Fernandez by, uh, wasn't it Ian Taylor at the time? As the story goes,
2: yeah. yeah, as a
0: sort of like this would be great from a media point of view. Um, and Tony Fernandez, being Tony Fernandez, went, oh yeah, let's just go get him. Uh, but then obviously, once the, we were coming to the end of Ollie's time, and then you've got McLaren. Coming in. Who who wanted McLaren? Was that another Tony Fernandez one? Because I would assume
2: just, just because of the link with the club in the past, I would assume it was a Tony Fernandez. I think Fernandez came out and said about wanting him to be manager when he was first at the club as well. So right. I imagine it was Tony Fernandez.
0: So I kind of thought when Warburton came in that this is gonna be the first time that Les got his pick. <sighs>
2: That's that's up in the air as well. This is this is the problem, and I think this is what people have an issue with, which is that what is, what, where where are the sort of boundaries of Les's role? Because I've heard some people say this was this was Amit Battier that picked Mark Walbert, and I've heard some people say it was Les Ferdinand. I don't I don't think anyone knows.
0: Yeah, I guess we're not sort of like we're not entitled to know, but at the same time, it's you're trying to piece things together. And, and see where exactly the club's trying to head. If if as a director of football, Les Ferdinand's not having much. I mean, it may not be. You know, that may be a good thing that Les Ferdinand isn't getting to pick our managers because we may have had Tim Sherwood more than once now. But like, and he's appearing under the odds again. But you do kind of question: uh, is it, is Les Ferdinand going to get on with anyone that comes in? Or are we just going to have to get in Tim and just try and make sure the club actually ticks in the right direction?
2: Uh, well, the, the talk is now that we want someone young and English kind of going the way that, that Swansea kind of have done and other teams in the Championship. Um, and by the sounds of things, all of these people seem to be the um, sort of your way for coaching badge types. Um James Roby, obviously, um Liam Manning, John Eustace is another one. They're all you wait for coaching badge types, and obviously I know Les Ferdinand kind of moves in those circles, so I imagine now it would be tough for anybody to kind of claim that this next appointment isn't um isn't at least Les Ferdinand influenced.
0: Yeah, um well I'm glad that you mentioned that. Because I did have the uh, t- top seven managers listed for the position according to Skybet. Bet. Uh, so the new favourite is James Roberry, the Newport manager, and it keeps on changing every day, doesn't it? Because like it, a couple of days ago it was John Eustace, and then before that it was Manning. But Eustace is still there on seven to two. He's linked quite a bit with the Watford job as well. So I think it's dependent on whether he goes there. He's obviously I think he's a bit of a club legend of them, isn't he? Mm. So. Um, you know that's fair enough if he does end up going there. Liam Manning four to one. Obviously, depending on MK Dons getting promoted. Kyle Robinson six to one. Tim Sherwood still hanging in there at seven to one. Uh, and then Chris Hutton and Gareth Ainsworth both at eight to one. And interest, I found it interesting that going back and look at the odds last time, Mark Warburton was actually eight to one according to the bookies to get the job. So I, I don't know, like whether that's the sort of area that we're going to end up looking at I'm sure they'll interview um, as many as popular uh, possible sorry um, j- just going back to that sort of uh, debate around the youth setup. up um, obviously they were kind of insisting that Les and um, the rest of this sort of team there that we had youngsters good enough to be starting and I guess like they were sort of suggesting that they were good enough to be sustaining the playoff push. but funnily enough, the two players that were mentioned in particular was, I don't know, and this is probably done on purpose by whoever wrote that article for West London sport, but they mentioned Ozzy Kakai and Nico Hamalainen. And when you're reading it, Dan, <laughs> it, well, yeah, it th- does exactly what just happened to Michael. there. It makes you chuckle, doesn't it?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, it makes the, the a bit of a mockery of giving them... I think we both gave them long-term deals, didn't we? I don't know how long each of them were exactly, but, um, yeah, that seems, in hindsight, um, a big error. I mean, even if you look at the, the low-needs as well, I mean, what is it? You've got Masterson battling League One relegation, or they got relegated on, on the weekend, so you bring him in, is he going to be able to go jump up a level and also compete for, for the playoffs you, I just, I don't know where they're, they're kind of seeing all this, I mean they're, they're privy to information and stuff that we don't quite know but um, I mean Warburton said on numerous occasions if they're ready they'll play but, and he's brought them through before, maybe more forced because of the resources he had but it, you've got to remember that his um and the board's aspirations was top six at the uh, beginning of the season and to To throw these youngsters in at such um pressure would be ridiculous in my opinion,
0: yeah, uh even still with um all this talk around youngsters and stuff like that the, again that there just seems to be a little bit of division over sort of like who's like signings and stuff like that, so it was mentioned again in the article that Warburton's number one signing would was Steph Johansson, which he got, but then Charlie Austin was apparently Tony Fernandez's like number one signing that he wanted. And you know what? As soon as I read it, it made complete sense, but it's all just seems a bit, <laughs> okay. it's all like they're fighting against each other, aren't they? There doesn't seem, we thought you kind of assumed that they were, okay, we, we kind of made a good, good uh, efforts of it in the second half of last season. And now this season, we're going to go and try and get promoted. I mean, Warburton was trying to keep his job by getting promoted. It wasn't he that like, that's what the, he was kind of, go- I don't know, it just seems weird, doesn't it? Fighting against each other, different objectives. They wanted it done this different ways. I do know, it's weird. Like, Michael- that's,
2: the, that's, that's the one part of the article, right? Where I was a little bit like, hmm, okay, all right, everybody needs to chill out. Just because I feel like this article, this article is very much a favour of Warburton, and by the sounds of things, there was definitely a bit of a disconnect, and it's definitely been done dirty a little bit, I feel like. But I'm not sure I could buy into this idea that um, there was little to no relationship between him and Les Ferdinand, just based off half our squad. is just Warburton, ex-players, isn't it? Like, last summer, Johansson comes in, that's his top target. Odo Bajo comes in. We've had Lee Wallace come in, Barbe from Brentford. Like, Do you expect me to believe that there was like no contact at all between Les Ferdinand and Mark Warburton for players that have played for him before, do you expect me to believe Les didn't say, "Hey, look, Moses or the available"? You've worked with him before. What do you think of him, or do you, or did the just show up on the day? I'm not sure. Charlie Austin, the, the fans would have rioted outside Loftus Road last summer if Charlie Austin had gone. How how funny hindsight is. Like last summer, it was get Charlie and get Charlie and get Charlie and Steffit. Now it was oh, we should never have signed him. I I just uh, that's that's the part for me where I'm like okay right this is very this I think this has probably come from Warburton's camp more than that's necessarily the truth. I couldn't quite get behind that bit.
0: Yeah, regardless, so it's still not a great look, is it? As uh, we are going forward, everyone's no, sort not. of anti les now, and it's. It, I mean, it's almost you have to laugh at it otherwise it's incredibly disappointing and actually quite sad, but the same sort of people that were a couple of days ago saying Warburton must go, Warburton must go is now, well, Les must go now, Les must go. It's like,
2: yeah, that's what's what's getting on my nerves as well. I
0: know like nothing has come out of this in it. No one's really come out of it in a good light, you know, everything's incredibly petty at the moment, but just think, Oh God, like it's, you know, You're just so fickle, it's ridiculous.
2: (laughs) Yeah, don't don't you think it's funny that that, that Les Ferdinand said he wanted a striker? Les Ferdinand said that this run of form isn't very good. Les Ferdinand said that the under-23 should be playing. The reason I'm criticising Les is because I disagree with all of that. Whereas a lot of people since January said we need a striker, said, oh, Sinclair Armstrong should be playing. Oh, Stephen Duke McKenna should be playing said oh this collapse is terrible we need to sack him but now they want les out surely should, aren't you on the same side or exactly you just like to complain
0: yeah it's, it's it right. exactly the same and it's kind of like frightening for them isn't it and they've just suddenly like realized that they might, might not be i don't know whether they're no, right yeah. or not is <laughs> isn't really important at this point but it's just sort of like yeah it is baffling, isn't it? The mental gymnastics at times used to sort of justify people's opinions on QPR Twitter is really impressive. Ridiculous.
2: It's ridiculous. I'm going to get
0: wound up. Oh, go on, get wound up.
2: <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, these are the people that have been buying that... That It's the fan base that's been buying that bloke that does the ITK nonsense. I'm not going to say his name, but the guy that does all that ITK nonsense talking about Sean dice's coming in. These are the types of people that you're dealing with really on twitter like they're not very smart, but it's they the seem to be the loudest people it's so annoying but, yeah
0: well Charlie austin's now got his uh n f t isn't he, well, he
2: has. What... yeah that...
0: anyway that's really that's something else that's that's a that's a different conversation altogether, but you know as you mentioned, you know <clears throat> Daish is not in the running according to the bookies, surprise, surprise, to be our next manager. Neither is Fark, neither Wagner, uh, nor Guardiola or Ancelotti. So, you know, I, you have to ask, where's the ambition from the board? <laughs> um, but, you know... Uh, if the, I can't if, believe they haven't
2: resurrected the ghost of Johann Cruyff yet and brought him in. That's embarrassing.
0: <laughs> um, I'm actually surprised we've not seen too many people suggesting... Uh, Neil Warnock right. Like <laughs> trying tempting out of retirement that that would have been there uh,
2: the one I'm surprised by is that the Gareth Ainsworth there's been absolutely no Gareth Ainsworth calls for the first time in a, a good like five years I thought we'd get a couple but do
0: you think that's partly due to the fact that some people have actually had to watch his football now that Wickham got promoted? Yes.
2: I would, I would say that's a big. I would say that's probably a big part
0: of that. Yeah. I think but, actually, as well, the, um, and we will get onto this eventually, but Charlie Austin's second spell at the club. Um, I'm not saying that, uh, Ainsworth is incapable as a manager or anything, but I think the Austin spell this time round has proven why you don't go back to places. Yeah. Um, you know he's. Uh, Gareth Southgate is making, um, he's doing a fantastic job at Wickham. He does a, has done a lot of good things there and deserves a lot of credit. Um, he doesn't necessarily play the most attractive football, but that's probably because they are operating on a ridiculously small budget and punching well above their weight. So they you kind of have to, you know, play a little bit ugly to win games. Um, but I'm not. I think I said it last time around when we were considering sacking Wolverton. Wouldn't really want him because I just kind of want to remember him as the player rather than mm. potentially coming in and not doing a great job as a manager and ruining all those memories, you know.
2: Hundred percent.
0: That's just uh, just the way it is. Um, you know, but seriously, good luck to any of the names that are considered because if that article is correct unless you're Tim Sherwood, you're not going to get on with Les Ferdinand. So, (laughs) In three years' time, if we're still doing this podcast, we'll be having the exact same conversation, apparently, by the looks of it. Uh, Anything else that you guys want to mention on this whole sort of sorry situation before we wrap up and move on to the actual on-the-pitch football?
2: Can I just ask, is that has anybody got a preference on the list or not on the list to come in?
0: Dan, that can be a shot straight um, across to you.
1: I wouldn't. I, I, I. wouldn't mind any of the top three: rope reuses or Manning to take over. Um, I think personally, Manning's probably the, the more ambitious and probably the the, the least risk of us. Um, Purely off the basis that he's got some manager experience at a division below. Um, I'd be happy with um all of them. I don't really. I don't really. Agree with the majority that say, Oh, why are we getting Newport's um, manager? And we got 11th or 13th place in the league two. So he's, he's, he's regarded highly as a coach. Um, and obviously, it's not going to be like a Farker job or a Dice job where they can jump on, and get us automatics, and we go to the Premier League. So it's going to be a re- rebuild and it's going to take time. So we're going to need someone um, who's quite fresh and
0: new, in my opinion. I would actually be disappointed if it was Eustace because it, it would feel a bit sort of maybe we shouldn't have sacked Wolverton then, because what's the actual change that's going to come from that, unless he's you know, when he took over after the uh, sacking of McLaren, I seem to remember he kind of just, obviously it's it's difficult because at the time he was just like finishing off a season, but it wasn't like he sort of changed much you know what I mean, like it was just kind of we'll carry on the way we were playing with the same sort of players and we'll just get to the end of the season basically whereas yeah I just don't know like it would feel a bit just a little bit pointless but
2: yeah I I suppose I suppose you don't you don't really know do I think it's I think it's quite natural in football just to go oh he was the assistant to the manager so it's going to carry on carry on down the same path which on one hand might be a good thing if you didn't want Warburton to be sacked and if you want to carry on with the style of play. On the other hand, it might not even be true. He might have a completely different outlook on the game. He's just putting out the cones and running the drills for the manager. I I don't really know. I I think for me, I'm with Dan. Uh, It's not so much about sort of what you've done in the game. For me at the moment, it's more, are you a good coach? Do you have good ideas? are you going to be able to come in and play a style of play that suits us? Because like I said... And be tactically see flexible. And be tactically flexible, yes. Man. Oh my God. Everything that we've um, said on the pod last year. Sorry, I'm in my car. That's my car horn. Um, <laughs> um, I forgot what I was saying now. Yeah, uh, yeah tactically, that, that tactically flexible coaches. Tactically flexible coaches. Yeah, that, that's, that's the one. that's the one for me. Yeah, let's move on, shall we?
0: Right, so um, I think that's everything that we had to say about that. Uh, da, 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 da. yeah, uh, that is everything for the uh director of football cl- clubbing crisis cracked badge. So, uh, for this part of the podcast, it's just going to be myself and Dan. Unfortunately, Micah got told that he had to leave his studio. And uh, move on. His studio being his car in his works car park. So that's the length that we go to make sure this podcast is recorded, guys. Just want to you know make sure everyone's aware when we are anything but professional. Dan, so Sheffield United. Uh the team, let's start with that. Mahoney comes in and starts instead of Kieran Westwood, I believe, because of injury. Sam Field is down as being used as a left centre-back in a back five and a domer, Johansson and Austin, I believe, will come into the side. So, I mean, um, what what was your instant thoughts on the uh, team sheet? I didn't really think it was um, field at left centre-back, but I don't know. Maybe I've kind of blocked that out of my mind.
1: No, no. um... No, I'd agree. I mean, initial thoughts, I thought it was a four-four-two diamond, like we've kind of reverted to back in a couple of our last games. Um, but no, you opted for a three-five-two with a field left centre back. I mean, I think generally generally we've been better with a back three, um, like second half against Stoke. So kind of felt right that he'd um goes to a back three. But there was some few there was a few interesting changes, obviously. I think Austin kind of starting was probably inevitable that this was his last home game, obviously with the news that he was leaving. Um, but no, it was, it was a it was a fairly fairly expected side, to be fair.
0: Yeah, the Austin and the Doma picks just felt like nostalgia ones, didn't they, really? Quite yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, whilst this wasn't necessarily a classic performance in the first half, we do go in at half-time, kind of, we've got them where we want them, don't we? One-0 up. We haven't played brilliantly. I wouldn't say they had been playing brilliantly either. But you kind of think, all right, yeah. I mean, it's a little bit disappointing that we're 1-0 up against Sheffield United now. Whereas, you know, a couple of weeks ago at halftime, we, if we had defended corners correctly, we could have gone in at time in a better position. You know, you, you never know where you could be. But it's like, yeah, all right, we're, we're playing okay. Is that kind of a fair reflection on the first half?
1: Yeah, no. Um, I'd say probably Sheffield United are probably slightly the best side. Um they didn't really have a final um cutting edge to their to their play. I mean, no, it was nice to go one-nil head. Uh, quite a good goal to be fair. Obviously, a dome one v one cuts it back, crosses, and then um kind of really what, what you've been saying a lot of the time is um Austin, I mean, his penalty box movement for this goal where he drifts off Basham and then uh times the header to get over him was was what kind of Charlie Austin does best best in the box um rather than drifting off into unnecessary wide positions. So no, it was a good, good goal from that um perspective. And I think Austin enjoyed the um the shithely celebration more than the probably the the finish itself. But no it was a good goal.
0: Well, you know, you clearly know what I'm about to say because you've already mentioned it. But when when they, that goal went in, I did turn to my friend and sort of say, you know, that's what he's good at. That's you know that that is what he is meant to be. He's a penalty box striker. He comes on next to a goal at this stage of his career, or if he's starting a game, he'll you know be a constant threat in the box. Track. Okay, just the the unnecessary dropping deep at times. There was a moment in the second half where he won the ball back at left back kind of position. And you think, okay, great, great effort. You know, on the face of it, if the player had stopped there, you'd say, well done, Charlie but instead he played the ball forward and it was a pretty good ball actually and it went right forward to where the striker should be it landed exactly where the striker should have been and you think well actually why can't why can't someone else do all that other work and you can why can't why do you have to make it so difficult for me to actually like you at this point because it's just as I've already mentioned this pod his second spell has kind of tainted it a little bit for me last season he was good this season he's been pretty poor and you just think, if he was kit to keep it simple and just stay in the penalty box on the last man, he would have so many more goals at this point. But you know, he has. I don't think he's probably scored a goal from outside the box, has he this season? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it's
1: part of it. Be, I don't think at times we played to his strengths, particularly like as a side. We don't really or well, second off the season. I can't remember consecutive run of games where he probably gained enough territory in the opposition box for him to be that penalty box striker. Uh he's had some chances where he's been a bit rash, but now, like you said, he does he does seem to love that um drop deep and then kind of make that clips curling curling pass into whoever it whoever it be. Um yeah kind of it kind of reminds me a bit of Wayne Rooney, if that makes sense. Like well, you know when he drops a bit more into the centre mid towards the end of his
0: career kind he of he actually was meant to play there though, wasn't he? Yeah, no, yeah, that was no, an actual no, yeah. tactical decision yeah. on behalf of the team. <laughs> like, he decide they, they came to a decision to play him there, but you know, Austin's still yeah. meant to be playing as a striker.
1: Yeah, I suppose that's where
0: I suppose the argument
1: for Austin is you probably pair him up with a, another striker or someone that's um quicker to kind of get on the end of those um those balls, but it's for the system that we play and um. For other reasons, it hasn't really worked out for him this, this season.
0: Yeah, and the other thing that you mentioned there was the celebration. Now, I don't know about you, but with this being his last home game, I was... I don't know why I expect any different, to be honest. And maybe some people love this, the fact that he went and put his fingers in his ears to a group of fans that, as far as I'm aware, has not really... You know, we're not massive rivals of Sheffield United. But he seems to do this with every set of fans that he scores against. I just thought, sort of, I, I think back to the goal he scored against Wigan down that end of the state stadium in the playoff semi final extra time. Obviously, it's a different time, you know, a bit, bit more optimism, whatever, but he runs off and celebrates into that corner with the people in the lower paddock. you think, why are you doing... I know it's not a goal of this, a similar magnitude, but why is he having to always go and wind up the opposition fans? Why can't he um, just score a goal, turn around and celebrate and be, you know, be happy that he scored one more time at Loftus Road in front of the QPR fans and celebrate the QPR fans? Why does it have to be about annoying other people? Yeah, I don't know.
1: I can see, I can see two sides to it. I mean, Charlie Austin does have that kind of nature that he loves to um, be a bit of a shit house. But um, I don't know. I don't know. If, um, it might just be me that's noticed it. But like a lot of opposition fans, I can hear like singing. Um, Charlie Austin's a uh, offender. I, I always not say it on. Won't say the full thing, but yeah, I, th- I think maybe that's. I don't know if they sang it or not, but. I, I suppose that's his way of giving it back. I think Derby did the same to him when he um, scored to make it one all away from home, and he, he, he taunted their fans with the crying.
0: Um. No, he didn't score. He didn't score. It was Willock who scored. Oh no, he put his, a cross this, in, yeah. and he celebrated yeah. like he scored cool. a goal.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, part of it is him. I think part of it, he does get some weird
0: stick from opponents,
1: uh, opposing fans. Some of it might be deserved in, in the sense that because he winds them up. Um, himself, but I don't know. Some of the some of the one of the chants in particular I've heard quite recently from a lot of fans, yeah, it's not really necessary to be honest, and I can't understand him giving it a bit
0: of a Okay, fair enough. Um, I just found it a bit weird. I did certainly didn't hear anything from the Sheffield United fans, but maybe it was a very small sort of corner of the support, but I was just a little bit frustrated with it, you know. Like, I thought last game that he might play at QPR. Just go and celebrate with your fans, um, but that's yeah. where the positives end for QPR, isn't it? Because after straight away after half time, they gave you some more set piece analysis work to do, didn't they? Um, yeah. I mean, well, by the way, up, if you, jump. if
2: oh, you sorry, haven't,
0: listeners of the podcast, if you haven't read Dan's piece, it kind of went up at a fortunate time last week where Mark Walton kind of dropped a bombshell that he'd be leaving, so it kind of got overshadowed. But it's got some very good points in there. And it highlights exactly what we need to do or what we've been doing so poorly at corners. And uh, yes, it does go beyond Sunny Dieng not being in goal. Um, but yeah, Dan, uh, this straight away from kickoff, they kind of just bombard us, don't they? Yeah,
1: it's, a, it's a, the second half. I mean, if you want to describe the second half one way, you probably think of it as like a. An FA Cup final with a complete minnow against the top six side. It was that. It was that dominant in all facets of the game. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't think we really got out of there half at all, um, much in the second half. But now set pieces in particular, they must have had about 10, 15. Maybe I'm over exaggerating, but it felt like they had a lot, a lot of second half, and we just were. There was a few decent clearances or a few good blocks, but. It was just the same same kind of thing over and over again, I mean, thank goodness thank goodness from 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 my point of view, it wasn't actually another another goal which resulted in some sort of front post movement um but it was still like kind of like pull out of your, pulling hair out of your um head moment um I mean the first one was a and what they tried a lot was um an in swinger to the back post rather than front post um the first one I mean they scored off two second and kind of ball scrambling in the box, but they did it in the first half, and I think they were unfortunate to score um so it is rather frustrating that we can't really adapt to a certain set piece situation quick enough, but I suppose it gave it probably gave me more content to extend my piece with
0: uh yeah, so it was really disappointing um my when just before the that their equalizer. Uh, my dad, who wasn't at the game, called me and said, you know, like, how's it going? And that. I was like, well, we're not playing too bad. We're sort of up against it a little bit, but we're holding on for the time being. And I think that was just before Mahoney makes a pretty good save. Um, and then pretty much as soon as I put the phone down, uh, they go and score. <laughs> and my mate turns around and says to me, uh, Alex, that 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 was coming, to be honest. Is that Yeah, fair enough. Like, it was kind of... Like they, not that they'd given it their all, but we had kind of reached the limits of our powers, hadn't we, in that game? And there was going to be nothing else from us. Um, yeah, we were definitely under We were definitely under a lot of pressure, um,
1: and it, it did feel inevitable. But it was one of those you thought maybe we could kind of cling on for just you know last home game, last home game for Worcester. So, you know, kind of like hopefully we can just see this out with a win. But no, it was
0: far from that at the end. Yeah, um, we nearly get an equaliser, don't we, Jimmy Dunn? It's actually incredibly unlucky that his shot doesn't sort of sneak in under the crossbar. Having said that, if it did go in, um, I think it could be fair to describe a, a draw in this match as absolute daylight robbery. And, You know, um, probably I'm not going to say it would have derailed Sheffield United's chances, but if they were to miss out on playoffs because they had drawn the game, that game against us, they would have definitely been robbed. We weren't anywhere good enough to be getting anything from that game and to be honest I'm just glad that it's over and we've only got one game to go
1: yeah yeah I mean I'm not really yeah I don't know it just feels seasons just slowly kind of like there was a glimmer of hope a couple of weeks ago Stoke was like the final chance and then um, this one in particular did not feel like it really had any value apart from other than giving Warpton a decent um, decent send off
0: at the end really what did you think of the send off? Did you stay behind for to clap them away? Yeah, yeah, I stayed. Yeah, I stayed. It was a bit. I felt it was
1: disappointing. Everyone leaving, uh, particularly yeah. after the third goal. I say I, I said I can understand why they left. I mean, it was. It's like ten minutes for your time to clap off them after a lap of honour or, or however you want to call it. Um, especially after the three years he's done for the job. Um, he clearly looked. Um, I don't know if he looked, I, I couldn't see exactly how he looked, but he looked a bit worn out, kind of like, he looked like run run down, if that's, if that's the correct word. Well, and I don't blame him, he's done three years here under under tough circumstances. Um, and I don't know how many stayed when he, when he walked around, but it didn't feel that like many at all to me.
0: No, a lot of people in my section got up and left on that third goal, and I was, like you, quite disappointed with that, mainly for the same reasons, you know, he's done a pretty good job here in some pretty trying circumstances. And, uh, you know, I thought that was the whole point of that game, that we were going to, you know, just give him a send-off, say thank you in a sense, because, you know, he has made QPR more watchable again. He's made, he's brought players on, done exactly what we wanted him to do. And uh, he's got sacked for it. We Maybe got a bit too greedy there towards the end, but... I don't know. It's just, it is a season of what could it could have been. You kind of wonder what what it would have been like. You know, had we got a few more wins here or there, I don't think we would have been good enough to get promoted. You look at the way that you know Forest are flying at the moment. I know they lost the other day to Bournemouth, but I don't think in compar- If we went toe to toe with any of those playoff sides, we'd have necessarily won promotion. I don't know about you. But, no,
1: yeah, I don't. But, no, I don't. I just, I just wouldn't. I wouldn't back Warburton, Um, I wouldn't back Warburton. tactically, tactically enough to to get us. I mean, he's a good manager, doing no wrong. But I just think, engage, like especially over two legs. You look at Sheffield United, for example, and it's been two games where it's clearly obvious that Ollie Norwood's going to dictate the tempo of the game and control the game, and he, we've let him do it twice, for example. That's just an example, but. You played, say, you played Sheffield United in the um, the playoff semis. There's no guarantee that we'd we we'd, be a, we'd he'd prevent that again. So I just think like these mind, there's minor things from him that um, can be incredibly frustrating um, at times. Despite all the all the fact that he's done for the club, um, it's just little little things really to be a bit more flexible, give us a better chance. But yeah, I wouldn't have backed us over over the playoffs personally.
0: And so we come to the final game of the season, Swansea away up until a couple of weeks ago. I think we were both going to try and go to this game. We've both decided against it now. Um, so what can we expect then, Dan, from Swansea and Russell Martin? Um, very, very hard possession. Um, and I mean that quite literally.
1: Uh, I don't expect us to um, have much of the ball during the game. I reckon they'll try and suffocate us with the ball. Um they got some very good players like we saw in the reverse the reverse fixture obviously matt Graham is probably one of the better um midfielders in the league um you've got uh, two strikers Perot and uh alba I think they're both well once uh Perot's touched um twenty goals at this point or over and i think almi
0: twenty four and forty six matches in all competitions
1: yeah he's a very good he seems a very good still, a very good finisher. I think a lot of his are actually out from outside the box, or um, really, really tight angles. Um, so he'll be—I reckon—he'll do, do do well again next year. Um, same with Obafemi. I think he caused us a few problems on Obafemi um, in the reverse fixture when he came on as a substitute. Um, so that's probably something to look look um, look to, especially with his pace. Um, but yeah, I don't know what they're gonna. I mean, again, they've got nothing to play for, a bit like us, I suppose. I don't know what that what a win does for them in the table in terms of positioning. I'm sure they'll want to win it, generally, just, just because it's the last get home game of the season for them. But yeah, I don't know what. I don't think it's going to be a brilliant game from our our point of view without without the ball because we're not really a good good side without the ball. Um, but yeah, it could be could be a good good win. Could be painful.
0: Yeah, the disappointing thing for us is that if we do lose and other teams score, uh, win their games, then we could see us fall quite far down the table, which would be really disappointing. Because you can kind of accept finishing around 10th or whatever. Uh, but, you know, if we're slipping back into 16th position again, it kind of, <clears throat> that would be Incredibly disappointing. April, though, for Swansea, was a bit of an interesting month. They had a few really big scorelines there. 4-0 win over Cardiff in their local derby. A 4-0 draw of Reading, a 3-0 draw of Bournemouth, and then five one a 5-1 defeat to Forest. So, you know, there's like, <clears throat> there's a whole breadth of, you've got two teams there, Cardiff and Reading at the wrong end of the table, Bournemouth and Forest at the right end, and you can't really sort of draw any conclusions from it. They've scored 17 goals in April and conceded 15, which seems quite a lot, obviously bolstered by those four games that I mentioned there. Um, And the only thing I guess that's worth noting from those games is that the Reading and Bournemouth ones came, they draw that game from a position where they were winning. And it, you know, they both feature quite late goals. I think the Bournemouth one, it's like three goals, it's like after 80 minutes, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. um... I don't know, like you kind of look at it and think from that point of view, it could potentially be an exciting game if both teams decide to go for it. But at this point in time, I can't really see us getting anything out of it, actually.
1: No, yeah, I don't know really what kind of mindset the play. I mean, I'm sure Wolverton will probably do his usual media talk of saying that we'll still go out to win the game. And obviously, they should because they they, it's it's their job. They're getting paid for that kind of thing. But, yeah, I, I guess the game will be open. Um, just probably more from a Swansea point of view, I think. Um, Martin's um, possession-based side is very open and expansive, but can be quite slow and um, and draining at times at the same time. So, it, it'll be interesting to see how they set up. I think it'll be similar system, so a bit like what we've seen over the last probably four or five games is not going to be a particular good watch for, or the neutral, I don't, not neutral would watch it, but it's not going to be a good watch for for many. It's, it's going to be based off who wins their individual 1v1 duels. Um, so, yeah, I mean, hopefully we can get the win just for the travelling fans the end of the season on some sort of high, because I don't think after what's happened the last few months, a defeat will do the world of good. And if we finish... Like you saying, what, fifteenth, sixteenth essentially, then it's just gonna be the same old QPR memes that are coming out on Twitter for the rest for a for a week or so.
0: Yeah, uh so last thing to say on this, what would you want to see done to the side in the sense of a starting eleven? Any changes? Um
1: probably bring probably bring great, maybe maybe play grey, um bit of a last last um goodbye kind of i I, said yeah i don't know get your money's worth out of
0: him you know yeah well
1: yeah that's yeah i guess so um i don't know what he's gonna do system wise with potential knocks because there seems to be more knocks than ever at the minute um yeah i don't i I imagine you'll stick to the back three um but yeah in an ideal world i'd probably start dykes gray chair behind um Midfield to field Johansson wing backs. So I don't know what he's going to do. Um, probably a, probably a domer and is Wallace fit yet or not? Is he still injured? Not sure. So just stick with,
0: did McCallum go get injured? Or is he no, no,
1: no, no. I was just wondering just because of the contrast situation and stuff. Um, yeah, keep McCallum probably a domer on the right, um, and then the usual back three. Really, I suppose is Barb is Barbe fit enough to play um, for his possible last game of the season or what it looks like to be his last game of the season. Um, and yeah, probably Sanderson and Dan will be back in, or we'll say back in still there.
0: Yeah. Um, so the only thing to mention is the results for the Samfield bingo from last week. And it was a pretty weird refereeing performance I felt. Um, but yet again, we, have, we didn't have a yellow card for Samfield, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Uh, no, I don't think he did get booked. The only thing to note about that is, um, if he gets booked on Saturday, then he um, he'll face a three-match ban for next season. Is that that's ridiculous?
0: I'm pretty sure it carries what, over. That's
1: my, how that's can I it
0: carry time. over? You've got surely you wipe it at the end of the season. Well, I think
1: we... it came up into red cards, though, doesn't it? It
0: carries over to the. A serious red card offence, yeah, but come on, giving out yellow cards. I'm, I'm
1: pretty not... sure. Don't, 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 Like, I'm not hundred percent sure. I'm like ninety nine percent sure. All
0: right, but, well, yeah, Sam, we can Sam carry family, our points Sam, tally across the next season as well, well shall we? <laughs> well,
1: if, 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 if Sam's listening, do not get books, please, because we're already enough messes it is.
0: Um. <clears throat> so what's up? What minute is he going to get booked then, Dan?
1: No, he's not getting books, He's staying. He's staying fit and fit and fresh for next season.
0: I'm saying 51 minutes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're not going to bother predicting it because I can't see us winning this game, personally. I think Swansea are going to go at it a li- with a little bit more energy than we have. Um, and they've probably got you know better players fit anyway. So that is it for this week. We'll be back next week for one last podcast before we all step away from QPR and try and forget that football exists for, from a certain point of view. Um, until the start of next season. So do come back to us next week for the review of Swansea and I guess what is going to be our end of season review. So if you want some more really cheery, optimistic listening, then come back next week. Uh, Thanks to Micah and to Dan for attending half and then the full podcast in Dan's case. Um, This we we are both on twitter uh if you want to follow us follow our generation at our generation net uh follow us on youtube there's some stuff there i believe uh follow dan's tactical analysis stuff uh and do give our latest article on fixture changes a read uh which came out last week as well so until next time come on you are and thank you very much for listening